Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again this week, uh, back in the Book of Mormon. Uh, and just fun. It's fun to be back in the Book of Mormon. I've got with me Brother Kyle Lemon. Brother Lemon, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's good to, good to have you here. Uh, Brother Lemon is one of my own children's seminary teacher right now, and so I'm excited to have you on the podcast with us. Thanks. Yeah, it's great being here. I'm excited. It'll be fun. Now, I know Brother Lemon because Brother Lemon was an institute student uh, not too long ago, right? How, yeah, how long right. has it been since you were over there? Unmarried. We'll go there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, well, I've been married for just over a year. Yep. Now I met my wife actually through the institute. Cool. We went to you know the free lunch and devotional uh-huh. activity. And, uh-huh. Yep, that's where we met. So that was, that was a that was an awesome experience. Um, but yeah, yeah, I went to institute. I still go to institute actually. Yeah. Me and my wife, we still enroll in classes. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun. Which is awesome, and more married couples should do. Right? Definitely. It's free definitely. date night, man. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's <laughs> awesome. And just because we're married, we still need to learn the gospel, but right. now we can do it together. Yeah. So, that, for example, we're taking a, an eternal families class. And cool. I took it when I was single, but now taking it with my wife, yeah. totally different perspective. Yeah, so I highly sure. recommend that. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great insight. And before I, I want you to introduce yourself a little bit more, but uh, this coming semester, we have some interesting classes at the Institute that we're going to offer. Um, it's a, we're, we're doing... Classes that help you find the Savior in unique ways. So, for example, I will be overseeing, not teaching, that would be bad, <laughs> but overseeing a class that is kind of a paint with Bob Ross class that's called fi- Capturing Christ Through Painting. We're also going to do a Capturing Christ Through Photography and a Capturing Christ Through Crochet and an embroidery class. We'll have some small ensemble kind of orchestra and, and brass kind of classes. So we're trying to do some things that, that help young adults be gathered um, and still find the Savior, but uh, maybe not feel like I have to come to a religious class right. to be gathered together, to be talking about the Savior, um, and to be in good and, and kind of a hub space in town. So, yeah, so awesome. we're doing some kind of unique things at the Institute right now. Yeah, that's really exciting. Uh, we'll have an indoor gathering class, which is indoor volleyball and soccer and outdoor gathering. And yeah, it'd just be fun. Just So come down and check us out if you're around in town. Okay, sorry. I kind of inter- interrupted you. Tell us, uh, been married for a year. Tell me where you grew up at. Gotcha. I'm from Twin Falls okay. originally, yep. And then I came to Boise State before my mission, did a year of school and institute. Okay. Um, and that's really where I gained a huge testimony of, of our Heavenly Father's plan of salvation yeah. um, in that institute class. And that's one of the main reasons I went on a mission, actually, cool. was cool. my experience at institute. Um, uh, where'd you serve? Home. Oh, yeah. So I went to Everett, Washington, okay. speaking Spanish. Cool. Yeah, super fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was really funny because I flew from Boise down to Mexico for the MTC. Oh, wow, really? And then from Mexico back to Washington. <laughs> so I just made a little triangle. Over Boise, yeah, that, yeah. Exactly. That's fun. Yeah. So then, yeah, I got home and finished up school, met my wife, got married. Now, you got to serve uh, at the Institute on the council there. I did, yeah. So I was on the Institute Council for a couple years, um, and then I was the Institute president during the COVID years, yeah. which was Tough. a really unique experience. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. I'm yeah. sure. Well, I'm glad we know you and, and just grateful that you gave us some time here today to be with us. And, and I love being in the Book of Mormon. It's just, it's fun. It's stories we all mostly know. Um, but there's some things there that uh, I think are fun to kind of dig out every once in a while. So, so let's jump in. Today we're going to be uh, chapter 11 through, is it 15? 15. 11 through right. 15 we're going through. Um, and this, uh, maybe just give us some context here. What's, what's going on for, for Nephi here? Uh, and we'll just have you jump us in. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I love these chapters. There's so much, so much good truth and applicable principles in here. Um, for context, Nephi and his brothers have been discussing Lehi's vision, right? Yeah. We had in chapter 8 the vision of the tree of life. Right. And now Nephi and his brothers, they have a lot of questions. And the cool thing is we get to see the contrast between how they handle these sure. questions, right? Yeah. And I feel like Nephi and Laman and Lemuel are just the perfect contrast yeah. examples, right? Yeah, I agree. 
And so Nephi is going to turn to the Lord and he's going to ask for basically the ability to see what his father mm. saw. Mm. And so if we pick up in chapter 11 of 1 Nephi, um, in verses 2 through 5, Nephi's having a conversation with the Spirit as he prays. And the Spirit asks him in verse 2, Behold, what desirest thou? And Nephi says, I desire to behold the things which my father saw. Mm. And the Spirit said unto me, Believest thou that thy father saw the tree of which he hath spoken? Mm. And I said, Yea, thou knowest that I believe all the words of my father. Mm. So right from the get-go, we have Nephi showing his faith in the words of a prophet of God. Mm. And that's such a cool example. And I love his specific question. He didn't just say, teach me, or sure. I just, I just want to learn something, right? He said, I want to know what my father saw. I want to yeah. see what he saw. Yeah. And I think that's applicable for us because sometimes when we're seeking revelation, we tend to just ask like, oh Lord, will you guide me? Yeah. And that's not a bad prayer, right? But I think we can take it a step further and ask more specific questions to invite more specific revelation. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, and, and I think, interestingly, verse 5, there's a, there's a phrase he says, he says, thou knowest that I believe, right? So it's interesting that, this, that the spirit or the, 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 the being, whoever it is that he's having this interaction with, uh, spirit of the Lord, uh, asks him a question that he knows the answer to, right? But, but maybe there's something there for us that if I know the answer to something, it doesn't mean that God's going to let me off the hook for that thing, right? He's going to still make me own it, that I know something, right? And, and I think there's something about truth there that if I know a truth, I'm accountable to the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be asked to be accountable to that truth, right? So the question that he gets asked by the, uh, by the angel is, do you believe that your dad saw the tree? Right. And, and kind of going back to you, what you said, that, that he does start start with his faith in prophets. Right. And then the angel says, OK, well, do you believe that your dad saw it? And, you know, I believe that. Right. Like like I do have that faith. I'm going to start with the faith that I have. Right. That's an invitation we've, we've been given. Start with the faith that you've already got. Yeah. And the angel kind of makes him the spirit says makes him kind of have that that uh, same response. And, and I might back up just a little bit. He desired to know in verse 1, something he wanted to have, right? Um, he was believing in that same verse that he could have a very similar answer. And then he sat pondering in his heart. There's, there's a process of things he's doing mm -hmm. to receive answers that is more than just an expectation that God's going to give me an answer, right? Mm -hmm. He's sitting, he's actively doing something, not just sitting and waiting, he's pondering. That's an active, in, in, engaged activity, right? Before any of this happens. So the processes I think the Lord expects us to go through, not requires of us, right? I think sometimes he just comes and gives us an answer to something. But when we really want to seek uh, and understanding, we need to understand the role of the learner which is to be engaged in the learning process, right? Mm -hmm. And to seek answers from those sources that have answers. So I love that. I love where we're starting here. I think it's, I think it's great. I believe all the words of my father. He's, he says, right? It's like, I'm in. I'm totally in. Now yeah. show me. <laughs> no, I love that. And I love what you said about that process. And that reminded me of a saying um, that actually I got from a student. Um, it said, you can't get a million dollar answer from a 10 cent prayer. Yeah. And, it's a great quote. and I love that Nephi is showing us how to put in, yeah, put in more effort yeah. into our prayers. Yeah, I think too often we 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 think Heavenly Father knows what I'm asking for. He he knows what I've been thinking about. Like I don't know which college to go to, or I don't know who I should marry, or right. And and so we we flippantly almost ask the question in our prayer, thinking well, He fully understands what I'm asking for. So here's a ten cent prayer, and now give me a million dollar answer, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's cool. I love it. That's okay, keep awesome. us moving. Yeah, later in the, in the chapter, still in chapter 11, um, they, you know, they're having a, a back and forth as the angel teaches him, and Nephi sees a vision of the birth of the Savior. And right as, as Nephi's about to see this vision, the angel asks him another question, a little more complicated question. He says, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And Nephi's response here is super instructive, I think. Nephi says, I said unto him in verse 17, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Hmm. And this is something that, that I like to call the Nephi approach or the Nephi response when we have questions that we don't totally know the answer to. Mm -hmm. um, it's where, where we start from a place of faith and then we build from there into the things that we want to find out. Mm. Right. So for example, like in my own life, this could be 
why, for example, and like in, in my past, I've had some some really hard medical things happen, mm -hmm. right? And and I didn't at the time know why they were happening or when they were going to end. Um, but if I had started, instead of asking just, oh, why is this happening, Lord, right? If I had started from a place of, well, first, I know that God loves me. I know that he's my father. I know that his plan for me is perfect. How does what's happening now fit into those truths? Mm -hmm. Then I think it, it opens the door for us to receive more revelation and to receive a lot more comfort. And honestly, for me, that would have taken away some of the, the hard feelings that I was dealing with at the time yeah. to have started from that place of, what do I know first about God? Yeah, that, that's really great. I, I love that. I don't know. I don't know. And that's okay to not know something, right? But to back up and say, what do I know? One, one of the classes that I teach is called Answering Gospel Questions. And sometimes the questions are four or five questions deeper than the person's really ready to receive an answer for. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Sometimes uh, someone will come in, and not that always this is true, but sometimes someone will come in with, say, a plural marriage question. And um, not doubts, not like the church isn't true because of plural marriage or whatever, but, but just like, I don't understand it. Help me understand that. And why, why would God ask Joseph to do that? And, and in most cases, it requires backing up from that question to some other questions. Like, well, tell me about your faith in Joseph. Tell me, help me understand, you know, what do you believe Joseph to be? Was he a prophet? Most of the time, there's a, oh, I don't know, that's what I'm working on. Like, I'm struggling to feel like he was a prophet if, you know, if he was living plural marriage. Well, the question to ask then is not plural marriage, right? Mm. The question that you're really looking for is, was Joseph a prophet? Plural marriage can be a question that you go after, right? If once you have faith in the precursor that Joseph was a prophet, then I can go after plural marriage and say, okay, well, why? Why was God asking this? And was he the only prophet ever to be asked to do that? And then it's a healthier look at the question that you're really asking about plural marriage, which is a totally fine mm -hmm. question. But if my, if my attempt to answer this question is to try to find an answer to that issue, then I will probably never find the right answer. So saying I don't know is really the, the, the first time you say I don't know is the, is the level at which you should be starting your questions, right? Yeah. I don't know this, but I do know this much, so let's back up to what I don't know. Instead of 40 things later, oh, I don't know this, <laughs> and I don't know that, and I don't know that, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it just, it just also, as, we, as you're reading that, um, I don't know the meaning of all things. I know that he loves his children. I just was thinking and reading earlier this week in Alma chapter 33, um, and this is Zenus teaching uh, that men should pray and worship in all places. Um, but when we get to verse 11, it says, And thou didst hear me because of mine afflictions and my sincerity, and it is because of thy son that thou hast been thus merciful unto me. Therefore, I will cry unto thee in all mine afflictions because of thy son. Right? Effectively, that's what he's saying. Because Jesus loved me, you hear me. Because of the issues that I have, um, I, will I will cry unto thee in all mine afflictions, for in thee is my joy, for thou hast turned thy judgments away from me because of thy son. Right? That idea that I don't know why I'm going through this thing or why I'm seeing this vision, or, but I do know Jesus. Right? Back up to the Savior and you'll be fine. Right, back up to the faith that you already have, and I think you'll be fine. I love that. I love it in here. Yeah, that's awesome. And that reminded me as I was, as I was studying for this of a quote from Elder Holland. Um, that I think totally applies to this. Um, he said, when those moments come and issues surface, the resolution of which is not immediately forthcoming, hold fast to what you already know mm -hmm. and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in the same talk later towards the end where he speaks to the youth and he says, effectively, if you don't know, that the gospel is true, lean on my testimony, mm. right? He, he, he invites us to lean. I think that's okay too, right? It, especially in times of doubt, that we lean on the, the testimony of our parents, we lean on the testimony of the faithful around us. But at some point, you have to look, you have to look into it, right? That's what the, the, the Spirit is inviting here. He says, behold, and then Nephi looks. How many times? It's like 26 times in here. The Spirit says, behold, and Nephi looks, right? And I think behold is more than just, hey, pay attention. It's like engage in this, you know, mm -hmm. study this thing, look into it, 
and that Nephi then does that, looks. And sometimes it's not even, um, it's not even like I looked, uh, like I saw. It was just I looked as if to see, right? It was like I turned my head, even, even though maybe there wasn't anything there, I'm, I'm doing the action as if to see that. And I think that's important. We just have to take the, take the action. Love that quote, love that quote. Okay, yeah, awesome. keep us moving. We're First Nephi 11. There's a lot in here, right? He's seeing the vision of, of the uh, virgin and, and Christ's birth and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, actually one thing that's, that's coming to mind just on the same, the same topic sure. about, about looking, um, it reminded me of, it's an object lesson that, that I think is, is totally applicable to this. And it might be weird to describe it. <laughs> so yeah. I, I wish I could show you, but yeah. basically how it works is you, you would have someone come up like to the front of a room and read some words written on a small piece of paper, right? And then you'd have them take a step back and a step back and a step back until they couldn't read the words anymore, okay. right? And sometimes that's how we feel, where we're like, we're trying to see answers in the gospel, we're trying to look in the scriptures, but we just can't quite see it, right? Mm. We can't see the answers. And the temptation is, when we get frustrated that we, we can't see and we're not finding answers, is to move away. We move uh, away from the church, we move mm. away from the gospel, we move yeah. away from the Lord. Right. But the real answer, if we want to find an answer, is to move closer, hmm. right? Is to move back closer to the Savior, back closer to the Scriptures. Mm. We need to actually come closer and look, like you were saying, yeah. to find what we're searching for. We'll never be able to see the answers if we, if we move away from Him. Yeah, that's so cool. And, and let me take you to a very specific space in there that I was thinking of, and it ties right into what you're saying. Verse 12 in chapter 11. It came to pass, and He said unto me, Look. So there's the in invitation to be active. And I looked as if to look upon him. And I saw him not, for he had gone from before my presence. So, so the angel is like standing, I don't know, behind him or something. He says, look. And he turns, and he doesn't see him. Well, what does Nephi do? Does he like slap himself, wake up, this is a stupid vision. Right? I mean, no, what does he do? Came to pass that I looked, okay, uh, upon him, and I saw him not, for he had gone from before my presence. And then the next verse, and it came to pass that I looked, and beheld the great city of Jerusalem. He kept looking. He was looking for a very specific thing when he turned at first. The spirit, the angel, right? The, the person teaching him. But when he didn't see him, he didn't just throw up his hands and say, oh, well, whatever. I guess I'm done with the vision. The angel left, right? He says, no. And, and he looked again. What am I supposed to be looking at? Because the angel just invited me to look. And now I'm looking at something totally unexpected. I'm seeing a city, right? I think that's an answer to somebody struggling with um, finding answers to their prayers. <clears throat> Sometimes I think God and the Spirit says, look, and we look and we don't see what we want. Mm. And so we keep looking, and we, then, then we walk away, step back from the little, the little writing, right? And we say, well, it's not there, because it's not what I want it to be. And the Lord's trying to get us to see something else. Yeah. Interesting, I love yeah. that, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and that ties in perfectly to the, the next idea that I wanted to talk about. We're going to jump around just a little bit. Yep, we, yep. We've been in verse in chapter 11, um, and I want us to go forward to, all the way to chapter 15. Okay. This is the, it's kind of the, the end, the wrap-up we have. So in the beginning, Nephi asked this question, this specific question, show me what my father saw. Sure. And then 11, 12, 13, 14, he sees that vision. Yeah. And at the very end of chapter 14... Verse 29, Nephi says, And I bear record that I saw the things which my father saw, and the angel of the Lord did make them known unto me. He's like, look, it worked. I got yeah. the revelation. God did answer my prayer. Sure. And then he goes down. He goes down off the mountain, right? Uh -huh. He's going to talk to his brothers. They've all been discussing their father's dream. And then we're in chapter 15, verse 8, and he says to them, Have you inquired of the Lord? Right? He just uh -huh. had this amazing experience. Yeah. And they say in verse 9, We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto <laughs> us. And it's it's... It's kind of sad, but it's almost funny, right? That they're like, no, we didn't ask God. God doesn't talk to us. Yeah. And I think it just is a, a really great contrast, right, to Nephi's approach of faith and believing that he can receive answers. Um, yeah, and I, and I might add, the reason they're not getting answers is because they don't think they're going to get answers. Mm -hmm. So they don't even ask. They don't even go through the process of showing any inklings of faith. They just say, I've never had him talk to me before, so why would he start talking to me now? And, and they're, they know some stuff, 
Right? I mean, like, they already know certain things. They answer in verse 9, they, they say unto me, we have not, for the Lord maketh no such things known unto us. If we skip forward to chapter 17, look what happens in chapter 17. And this is stuff we'll talk about next time, but uh, in detail, more detail at least. But uh, look at 17, uh, verse 23, maybe we start in 23. Came to pass, I Nephi spake unto them, saying, Do ye believe that our fathers who were the children of Israel, would have been led away out of the hands of the Egyptians if they had not hearkened unto the words of the Lord. Ye know, he says, ye know, six times in these verses, like through 29. You know this happened. You know this happened in our family history. You know that the Lord did this and saved this, and the angel showed up to you and stopped you from beating me then, and we did get the plates from... He's, he's, he's effectively saying, you do know stuff. Mm -hmm. You just don't... That stuff isn't the stuff you feel like you want to know. And you're not giving it any credit. You're saying, well, I don't know this thing, and so God doesn't ever talk to me. Well, that's not true. God's not talking to you about that thing, maybe. But it's because there's 15 things first that you need to understand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's so true. And I think that also ties into the ways that we can receive revelation. Like maybe the way that they had experienced it before isn't the way that they wanted to receive sure. an answer. Yeah. And so maybe they didn't recognize it. Yeah. And I think a lot of us feel that way sometimes, where we're seeking answers from God and we feel like they're not coming. Yeah. And maybe it's just because we've put him in a box almost of, well, this is how God speaks to me. Yeah. And if he's answering us outside the box, then we miss it. Yeah. Right. And I, I just wanted to ask you this question, honestly. Um, I've had conversations with, with a couple different young adults in the last couple weeks about the same topic of what do we do when it feels like heaven goes silent? Yeah. Right. Specifically, I was asked, you know, I've, I've been trying to do these things. I've been trying to read my scriptures. I've been trying to pray. And none of it is helping. None of yeah. it is working. Yeah. Um, why is God being silent? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a question that I think gets asked um, probably too often, if I'm honest. I think my experience is someone that's asking that question is looking for the Lord to either answer the question in a very specific way or looking for a very specific answer. Mm. So, for example... I've been asking God for six months what school I should go to. And he hasn't told me what school to go to. Well, you're expecting that God will tell you what school to go to. You're starting with the premise that God will take your agency and force you to go to a specific school, right? That, that's not God's pattern at all. Not only that, but, but I'm looking for God to tell me something in probably a very specific way. I haven't gotten the burning in my bosom or the feeling of goosebumps or whatever it is that they're looking for in a very specific way. So, so I would say one of two things is probably true. First, the Lord is going to teach you the thing you need now first. And if he's not talking to you about the thing you're praying about, that's not the thing you need to learn right now. So stop praying about that thing, right? I mean, like if, if my question is what school do I need to go to, and the Lord's not helping me feel one way or the other about any of the schools, first off, maybe it doesn't matter that much to the Lord. Maybe it's up to you to make a decision. Where do you want to go to school? Isn't, isn't our objective to become like Jesus, and Jesus knows the answers to all things? So isn't it at some point true that if I don't feel like God's answering my question, but I'm feeling okay about something, isn't that the objective for me to feel good about things on my own and do good on my own? So I, I would answer the question partially that way, that, that sometimes the Lord just lets us make our choices. But when we think the Lord's going to get involved, we can't put any boundaries on him or parameters on him. If he doesn't give me a what school feeling, maybe it's because he, I really should be asking, what should I study before I figure out what, where I'm going to go study it, right? Or, and I'm amazed how often I ask the question, especially to seniors in high school, where are you going to go next year? Oh, I don't know yet. What are you going to study? I don't know that either. Or what are your top schools? Ah, uh, I don't know. Probably like a BYU. Oh, what are you going to, like, any inklings on what you're going to study? Like, no, I have no idea. I'm like, okay, well, why on earth would the Lord get involved and make you feel like you really should be going to Harvard if you don't even know if you want to be a, a theater major or a neuroscientist, right? I mean, like, there's so many gap questions that we should be asking. I think too often we ask the question, why is God not responding to me? when we aren't responding, we're not asking him questions he even can answer because we haven't done the work on the front end. Or, or, and now I'm going to flip gears completely on that question, or the answer I'm looking for 
would take away the opportunity for me to learn what I need to learn mm. if God just gave me the answer. For example, I've, I've been praying of that, that I would know if the church is true. And I've been praying for that for two years. Well, maybe that's the point that you're going to look into it for two or three or four or 16 years before you get the answer. How much more will you know than if you got an answer the first time you prayed about it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know that the Lord is always doing that for that reason, but maybe the process is as important to the Lord as the outcome as of the process that we're going through, right? The process of becoming, the process of learning. And uh, so, I don't know, that's a good question. But I think the question assumes some stuff about God that uh, I just don't think is true very often. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love how you talked about the process being so important to him. And that reminded me of a quote from Elder Oaks. Um, he said, A desire to be led by the Lord is a strength, but it needs to be accompanied by an understanding that our Heavenly Father leaves many decisions for our personal choices. Yeah. Personal decision-making is one of the sources of growth we are meant to experience in mortality. Yeah. I just love that. Like you said, it's all about becoming more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have to learn how to make righteous decisions based on the truth that we've learned and yeah. the truth that He has taught us. Yeah. It, it's so interesting here because, because Laman and Lemuel's response is, we don't know. God doesn't teach us stuff. So what does Nephi do? Well, he goes through and he's like, well, you know this, and you know that, and let me teach you about this. And so he goes through and, and teaches them, right? By the time we get to verse 20, listen to this. I did rehearse unto them the words of Isaiah who spake concerning the restoration of the Jews or of the house of Israel. And after they were restored, they should no more be confounded. Neither should they be scattered again. Now listen. And it came to pass that I did speak many words unto my brethren that they were pacified and did humble themselves before the Lord. They still didn't learn it for themselves. They listened to somebody else, give them an answer, and they were pacified. Fine. Okay, well, well okay. I won't complete, completely complain anymore. I'll just suck on my pacifier and be fine, right? It, it will just pacify me. It just puts me, it lulls me back to not being angry anymore, mm -hmm. right? And I think too often, that's where we go when we don't feel like we're getting our answers. We listen to somebody else give a little bit of an answer. It's like, okay, that's enough. I don't have to be worried about it anymore. But the problem didn't really go away. I still haven't answered the question. I've just been pacified into a state of lame, really, <laughs> right? Just, just to flare up later, I think. It's so interesting to me, just the, just the way that they are, the way that they respond is to just be taught a little bit from somebody else and not really seek my own answers. And they're not becoming anything. They're just becoming nothing, ultimately. Yeah, no, that's so true. Uh, and, 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 they, and they go on from there, right? They, they speak, unto he, speak unto me saying, what meaneth this thing which our father has seen in a dream? What meaneth the tree which he saw? So, so Nephi has done the work and these guys come up saying, okay, what does that mean? What about that? Tell me about plural marriage. Why that, right? Like, dude, that, to get a really comfortable answer on some of those things takes years of study and feeling like, okay, I get this and I'm okay with it. Um, to try to, to think you're going to go ask somebody a question one time and you're going to get an answer to something that's bugged you for 20 years. I hope the Lord doesn't give you an answer that quickly. I hope you have to do a little bit more study for it, right? Yeah. I love it. I love it. These are, there's so much here. So much here. So uh, he kind of walks him through his experience with the dream. Uh, where should we jump in after that? Yeah, I love in chapter 15, he basically explains how he got to where he is, mm -hmm. right? And I think in hopes that maybe they'll, they'll follow his example. Right, and yeah. Unfortunately, they don't, right? But we can. Yeah. Um, and I love in, in chapter 15 and verse 11, he kind of explains his process for, for getting ready to receive this revelation. Mm -hmm. He says, do you not remember the things which the Lord hath said? Which I think is one important, right? Moroni says a similar thing to, to reflect on our minds about how merciful God has been to yep. the children of men right all yep. through time. Yep. Remember the things he said. And then he has four specific points. He said, if you will not harden your hearts and ask me in faith, believing that you shall receive with diligence and keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. Mm. That's a promise. It's a promise from God that he wants to talk to us. It's like President Nelson has said so many times, God is begging us to, to seek personal revelation, to increase our capacity to seek revelation yeah. and promises that surely these things will be made known unto you. And I know that's true because I've received personal revelation myself and I know that God wants to talk to us mm. if we're willing, if we're willing to humble ourselves and follow what he wants us to do, right? And I love these steps that Nephi gives us. 
And the one that really stood out to me the most was the fourth one, with diligence in keeping my commandments. Hmm. And when I think of diligence, I don't, I mean, it means being intentional, being careful, not casual yeah. in our discipleship, right? Yeah. But I think it also can imply over time, right? Like it's not just, well, I'm going to try this for a while, and if it doesn't work, then I'm out, <laughs> right? It implies that you're, you're going to give it time. You're going to stay faithful. You're going to keep acting in faith, yeah. even, even while the answers don't come. It's like Elder Holland said, to hold fast to what you already know yeah. and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. Be diligent. Keep acting in faith. Keep yeah. trusting that you'll get an answer. And that's really good. I had a student ask me not too long ago. Uh, she said, it's actually in this block, which is why I'm going there. Um, the question was, why, why, if the church is true, why is it so small? Why wouldn't God's church on earth be huge? Right? And, and my brain immediately went to 1 Nephi chapter 14, verse 12. And it came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and the numbers were few because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon the many waters. Speaking of our day, the numbers of the church on, on earth would be very few. The answer is right there. Because of wickedness, the church will stay small. But when I took her there, that wasn't enough. That wasn't the answer. Because this is in the Book of Mormon, and Joseph Smith wrote that. So, like, that, uh, that doesn't help me. If the church is true is her question but she's tagged on, why is it so small, mm. right? As if that's the answer. If she finds an answer to that, then the church is true? No, not true, right? You can see what I was saying earlier, that, that sometimes we, we tack on a if this thing, then the church is true. Then the, the thing, the bigger thing is true, right? As opposed to actually doing the work, that is, go study the Book of Mormon, read it from beginning to end, pray about it, find out if it's true by itself, then you know whether the church is true or not, right? Mm -hmm. but, but we come at the church's true question in a thousand different directions thinking if I find out this answer, then I will have an answer to my question, right? And it's just not listening to Moroni or Nephi, right, going about it in those, that four-step pattern. It's not just those guys either. Joseph Smith did it when he went to the grove, right? He, he pondered, he'd studied, he'd, you know, first prayer, vocal out loud. Um, Joseph S. Smith, before he received section 138, exact same thing. He's sitting in his room thinking about the, what happens to men after they die. He's just dealt with the plague and World War I, and that's hard and heavy on his mind. And he's pondering things. He's pondering the scriptures that he's read. This pattern that the Lord uses through prophets and apostles, we see very clearly this is how you're going to receive answers when you're doing the work. Um, I, I'm saying that, and at the same time I'm saying that, Elder Bednar is jumping into my mind because Elder Bednar has taught us that we don't have to do anything to have the Spirit come teach us, right? We take the sacrament every Sunday and that the Spirit is, may always be with me is the covenant that I make, right? That I can, I can know the Spirit is teaching me all the time if I'm worthy to take the sacrament. But I think there are moments when I really want the Lord to come and instruct me when I can show him I want some help. I'm gonna show effort, um, and my effort is not earning me the answer, but my effort is indicating to you that I'm maybe a little more ready than I was last week, because I'm still working on it, and I'm willing to work on it for as long as it takes. Um, I think that effort is what these prophets are teaching us, right? Yeah, I agree. And I, I love what you said, that we're not earning that revelation, but I think that effort is how God is preparing us to receive the yeah, revelation. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Because otherwise, he might be trying to give us answers that there's just no room in our heart to receive. Yeah, right. And occasionally, through my studies, I will get to that verse where I'm like, oh, there it is. It's right there. I already have belief in the Book of Mormon, and that's why, right there, it's answered my question, right? But the process of study will help me get to that answer. And then when I see it, I will be okay, and the Spirit will confirm it. And that's enough at that point, right? Yeah. But if I approach it there, and that's the way I look at it first, then I'm just going to miss it. Just going to miss it. Probably every time. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, uh, should we back up? Yeah, there's just yeah one last, yeah. One last principle yeah. from these chapters that really just jumped okay. out to me. Um, in chapter 13, right in the middle of this vision, Nephi has seen the wars and the rumors of wars mm -hmm. and the mists of darkness. And when I read that, I just thought, wow, that, that's today. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, no that's definitely our day, right? Yeah. And then Nephi teaches, well, through this process, Nephi learns 
the key to staying safe and, and staying true to the Lord, even in the midst of all these wars and rumors of wars and sure. contentions and darkness. Sure. And he sees the key in, in the books that the angel shows him. Yeah. Right. So now we're in chapter 13, verse 20 through 23. And this is where Nephi sees the book that's carried forth to the Gentiles. Mm. Verse 21, the angel says, do you know what this book means? 22, Nephi says again, I don't know. Yeah. Right? I don't know, just honest. In 23, the angel explains, well, this is the book that came from the record of the Jews. And now I'm kind of in the middle. It says, which contains the records of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. And it also containeth many of the prophecies of the holy prophets. And it is a record like unto the engravings, which are upon the plates of brass, save there are not so many. Nevertheless, and this was the key thing for me, they contain the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto the house of Israel. Wherefore, they are of great worth unto the Gentiles. Mm. And that really hit me that the thing that makes our scriptures of such great worth is the words of the prophets hmm. and the covenants that they teach us between us and Heavenly Father. Yeah. And to me, in the midst of everything Nephi has seen, of the, the craziness of our day, it's really comforting to have such a simple answer that when, when we're in the midst of all this chaos, hmm. if we will go back to the words of the prophets and back to our covenants with God, hmm. then we'll be safe. Yeah. And there's, there's amazing promises in chapter 14 Nephi sees, like you were saying, the, the, lamb, the church of the Lamb is small. Hmm. But then in verse 14, 1 Nephi 14, 14, he says, I beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, hmm. who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. Hmm. And that's just so comforting, that our covenants can bring God's power into our life. And President Nelson has taught that so strongly, and I just love what he said in, in his talk, The Everlasting Covenant. Um, he said, In this world torn by wars and rumors of wars, the need for truth, light, and the pure love of Jesus Christ is greater than ever. Once we make a covenant with God, we leave neutral ground forever. God will not abandon his relationship with those who have forged such a bond with him. Mm. In fact, all those who have made a covenant with God have access to a special kind of love and mercy. Once you and I have made a covenant with him, our relationship with him becomes much closer than before. Now we're bound together. Because of our covenant with God, he will never tire in his efforts to help us. And we will never exhaust his merciful patience with us. Mm. Each of us has a special place in God's heart. He has high hopes for us. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I love that. You know, it makes me, as, I'm, as I was listening to that, I was going back in 1 Nephi 13 to some other things that, that Nephi was, see, was shown. Verse 12, it says, I looked and I beheld a man among the Gentiles who was separated from the seed of my brethren by the many waters. And I beheld the Spirit of God and it came down and wrought upon the man. And he went forth upon the many waters, even into the seed of my brethren who are in the promised land. So we're talking pilgrims, right? Interesting that the Lord, because of faithful desire, righteous desires of, of faithful people as much as they could be before the restoration of the church, right? People that wanted to escape tyranny and escape uh, oppression and escape forced religion and things like that, that were many of the pilgrims, right? That was what, who they were. It came to pass, verse 13, that I beheld the Spirit of God, that it wrought upon other Gentiles, and they went forth out of captivity upon the many waters. Now, they weren't captives in Britain, but they kind of were, right? I mean, people that were leaving Europe at the time, they were kind of captive in a lot of ways, right? Uh, it continues on. It came to pass. I beheld many multitudes of the Gentiles upon the land of promise, right? And, and they get there to the land of promise, um, and they were scattered before the Gentiles and were smitten, speaking of his posterity, his family's posterity. This is the, the Lamanites, right? The, the covenants that were made to even pilgrims, right, because of their righteous desires, prior to actual priesthood covenants being restored to the earth, the Lord is seeing these righteous people saying, this is how I'm going to bring to pass and prophesied of it in the Book of Mormon, right? We get, we get verse 16, it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld that the Gentiles who had gone forth out of captivity did humble themselves before the Lord and, they, and, the, and the power of the Lord was with them. And I beheld that their mother Gentiles were gathered together. So the mother, mother country being England, right? Upon the waters. Well, civil war. This is where the civil war, man, this is like, can you imagine Joseph seeing it this way as he's translating the Book of Mormon and making this up? I mean, the detail with which he's getting this right, 
I beheld that the power of God was with them and also that the wrath of God was upon all those that were gathered together against them to do battle. And then one more verse here, verse 19. I, Nephi, beheld that the Gentiles that had gone out of captivity were delivered by the power of God out of the hands of all other nations. God prepared the way for the, for the Gentiles who weren't even members of his faith, his church, right? Not by maybe anything of their doing. The church wasn't on the earth at the time, right? But, but the Lord was able to use them probably a very, in a very covenant-like way uh, to promise them the promised land, to give them this space, this, this land for them to go to. And then if we just transfer that concept of you know, the records that these people are going to be given, the Bible in their hand, and then they're going to see this new record, right? We get to verse 40 of chapter 13. And the angel spake unto me, saying, These last records which thou hast seen among the Gentiles shall establish the first of the, sorry, shall establish the truth of the first, which are the 12, 12 apostles. So we see the Gentiles now have the Book of Mormon. And it's establishing the truth of the record of the Gentiles that was the 12 apostles. That's the New Testament, right? The, the, the covenants that God is making amongst his people are to prove that Jesus is the Christ. That's the whole purpose of all the covenants that he's making here. And he goes on, verse 40, he says, of the uh, 12 apostles of the Lamb, and shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them, that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world, that all men must come unto Him or they cannot be saved. His whole purpose is to engage people in covenant making, right? Mm -hmm. To teach them what the covenants are, to understand who the Savior is and how do I follow Him and what's necessary for me to, to get in line there, that they can come back, right? That they can come back. And so the whole story of the Book of Mormon and of the the Nephites and the Lamanites and the Gentiles across the ocean, the whole story is something that God knew from the very beginning was going to happen. And he established it so that covenants could be made, so that Christ could be followed in the way Christ established for himself to be followed, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not anything anybody's making up. It's been the plan from the very beginning, right? Yeah, oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so powerful when you see that eternal perspective and you really see... Yeah, God's plan in action. I yeah, love that. Yeah. 41, that they must come according to the words which shall be established by the mouth of the Lamb. So when Christ comes, because at this point he hasn't come, and the words of the Lamb shall be made known in the records of thy seed, as well as in the records of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Wherefore, they both shall be established in one, for there is one God and one shepherd over the earth. It, it's, all to, to, it's all to be put together, right? It's one big giant puzzle. I love this. I think this has been a great conversation about um, finding Christ ultimately, right? Mm -hmm. How do we find Christ? How did Nephi find Christ? How did he, how did he get answers to his questions? How did uh, Laman and Lemuel not get answers to their questions? And I think the question you asked before, I'm, I'm curious about your answer there. When you've spoken with young adults who ask the question, or you speak with your seminary age students, right? Ask the question, I'm not... Uh, I don't feel like God's listening to my prayer or he's not answering my prayer. What do you feel like is the reason or response you, that you would give there? Yeah, honestly, it's changed from, from what I would have said after having studied these chapters sure. so much. Um, and before, I think I would have said something like, be patient, you know, keep, keep being diligent, all sure, those things. Sure. Right? And I think those are still true. Um, but now, after having studied these chapters, I think what I would say is to fall back on your covenants with the Savior. Yeah. And that's where the power is. That's where your connection to the Savior is. Mm -hmm. and, and I love, so I think there's power in breaking down specific words, right? Mm -hmm. And in, in 14, 14, when it says that they were clothed with the power of God and great glory, mm -hmm. the word glory stood out to me and reminded me of Doctrine and Covenants where we learn what the glory of God actually is. Mm -hmm. And as we learn that the glory of God is intelligence. Mm -hmm or light and truth, mm. right, in DNC 99, or sorry, 93. And that's what we're seeking, right? When we're seeking answers from God, we're seeking light, we're seeking intelligence, sure. we're seeking truth. Yeah. And the promise is through our covenants with Him, we'll be blessed with that glory, with that light and truth. Mm. And I just love that promise. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea that light is the thing that we're looking for, that, that knowledge uh, that dispels darkness is the thing that 
ultimately you're asking. And, and I, I, don't want, I don't want anybody listening to feel like when you have a question or when you feel like the Lord or God isn't answering your question that you're somehow bad, right? That, but, but ultimately, if, if I step farther away from the little tiny writing on the piece of paper, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm doing exactly the opposite of what I should be doing. If the writing gets harder for me to understand, I ought to be getting closer to it and studying it more and more with a magnifying glass as I get closer and closer and it's still hard to understand. I ought to be digging into it. And then, it's a concept, it's called the simplicity on the other side of complexity, which I think is a really interesting concept and there's whole books written about it. But it's the idea that, in fact, I think Brother Diebel, no, Brother Felix, uh, is going to speak about that concept in a couple of weeks uh, in the podcast nice. here. We've already recorded that episode. Um, but the idea that some concepts are pretty simple, but on the other side of that is a whole lot of complex, right? Enter the gate, baptism. Great, simple, right? But in order to do that, I have to go through some pretty complex thought processes. I am not enough by myself. I am a sinner. Um, I have guilt and feel badly when I sin. These are very complex types of interpersonal kinds of feelings. And the, the simplicity on the other side of that complex type of thinking is be baptized. The Savior takes it, right? Every concept that is difficult for us to understand, it has a simple answer on the other side of it, right? Plural marriage, for example. I don't know why plural marriage was a thing. When I really dig in and study the concept of plural marriage, I find it all over the scriptures. I am not the first Christian that believes that plural marriage was a thing God asked prophets to do. Neither are the members of the church, because every Christian on earth that believes in the Bible believes that prophets live plural marriage. So, so that, that's a simple answer. It's a very simple answer on the backside of the study of the complex issue of plural marriage. But I can't just give that as the answer, it's not enough, right? There has to be some more depth and study in there. It's kind of like going back to the, well, the church will be small in the last days. That's not enough by itself. It is the simple answer. But the study, the research, the, the portion of your life and spirit that is developed through the process is why you go through the process to find the simple answer. Right, and that that process is the purpose, so that we become like our Father in heaven, not just know all the stuff Heavenly Father knows. Right? Yeah. Otherwise, He just teaches all the answers, and then we'd know all the stuff. We have had have had no experiences, <laughs> and what would Elder Holland would call it comfortable Christianity, right? Where we didn't have to learn anything. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like you, God. I I didn't go through anything, but I'm just like you. Me and you, we know all the same stuff. Right? It's just not the way God does it. Yeah, yeah, and then that, that's not even the way that it was for the Savior, right? Like it, we know from <laughs> Alma seven. He could have just known everything right? through the Spirit, but instead, oh. he came and experienced it for himself. Yeah. Right? And, and we're, we have to do the same to a certain extent. Well, and he did, right? He'd already obtained Godhood before he even came to earth. All he needed was a body. He didn't have to go through anything on earth, effectively, right? I mean, obviously went through the atonement, which was needed, but for his own growth and development, no. He didn't need to go through any of the experiences except for the atonement, and that wasn't even for him, it was for us, so that he could understand, so that he could help us, right? But, but his own growth and development was not part of the process uh, for the challenges he faced. Those were all for us. Those were all for the people that lived around him, that they would deal with Christ that way. Um, and Christ's experience was probably only negative <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I sometimes I think of I think of Christ's life, and I think, man, what a horrible, miserable experience that would have been uh, to be so good and so righteous and so and constantly be questioned. Um, but then I think, what would it be like to lay down every night and know you did everything right? <laughs> right? You, yeah. You'd wake up pretty confident the next morning, and not prideful, but but confident in that I can do this. I can even if it's horrible and it's not fun and it makes me sad. I handled every circumstance of every day correctly. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty, maybe joyful life that Christ would have led mm -hmm. um, while being miserable about the choices that the people around him were making, right? But uh, it's just interesting, juxtaposed kinds of feelings he might have felt. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Kyle, thank you. This has been great. I, I close with kind of the same question to everybody. And, and since you're a young adult, I'll ask you the question and, and maybe have it be uh, directed more towards peers. But uh, in your experience, having worked in the Institute and, and served as a Institute uh, president, now working with the young people, seeing friends of yours that are young adults still kind of trying to go through it and figure it out, what counsel or advice or um, direction would you give if you could just say one thing to them? What would you want them to know? What would you want them to think or believe? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, honestly, my, my thought is, is just recognize that you're not alone. Mm. You're not alone. We've all had times or have times or will have times when we don't feel as close to God as we want to. Yeah. Right? Where life gets in the way or our mistakes get in the way or someone else's mistakes get in the way mm -hmm. or we just live in a fallen world and things happen. Yeah. Right? Um, and it's important to know that you're not alone. You're not the only one who's felt the hurt and the anguish and the, the isolation yeah. um, of feeling far away from God. And, and we have, what I love about this story that we're, that we're in right now in, in the Book of Mormon is that we can see that we're not the only one. Yeah. But not only that, we can see a way out. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah, important to recognize so. you're not alone there, but it's also important not to stay there. Yeah. Right? And I love the promise that we have that the, the goal, the tree, right, that all this was about that Nephi and Lehi saw in their vision was the most joyous to the soul, the most desirable, filled with the, you know, the most joy ever. And I've gotten to, to taste that a little bit a few times in my life when I feel the joy that comes from God that doesn't come from anything else. Mm. And it's worth it. It's mm. worth the effort. It's yeah. worth the struggle. It's worth the weight and the diligence. It's, it's worth all of that. Mm. And so I would, just say, I would just say to recognize you're not alone and to follow these patterns that we have to get to that place of joy again. Because yeah. I know that you can. I know that you can because Jesus Christ will help you get there. Yeah. Yeah, the atonement's pretty great, isn't it? So great. His capacity to improve me is kind of mind-boggling day in and day out. I'm just grateful for it. Well, Brother Lemon, thank you. This has been fun, and I appreciate your time. I know every time I ask a peer of mine to, to come on the podcast with me, I know I'm asking them to give up some prep time or some time that they could be studying their lessons, and I'm just grateful that you were willing to give us some time. Uh, can I have you back on? Yeah, I'd love that. Come back and do pleasure. it with us again? Definitely. Okay, we'll have you back. Appreciate it, Brother. Thanks.